hi out there. Welcome to the Brave Files podcast. My name is Heather Vickery, and I'm going to take you on a journey today that is one of extraordinary resilience and perseverance and strength. This week, I'm talking to best-selling author Madeline Black about going from broken to unbroken. Her story of survival after living through extreme violence is one of strength, forgiveness, and hard work. Madeline reminds us that we have the power to write our own stories, and it's best to write them in pencil so that you can erase and change the story as you grow. We talk about the incredible power of forgiveness. You know, it's not the person that's forgiven that grows. It's those of us that do the forgiving. We can release the anger and choose to live a happier and healthier life in so doing. Madeline shares that telling her story allowed the unspeakable to become speakable, and it's made the difference for others as well. It's given them hope where they may not have had any before. This episode is all about F-E-A-R, face everything and rise. And that's the heart of all that we do each and every week at the Brave Files podcast, where we help you figure out how to leverage your fear into intentional bravery. You can face everything and rise. Stay tuned because this is an incredible journey. My three words are survival, resilience, and hope. This is Heather Vickery, and you're listening to the Brave Files stories from people living courageously. When we choose bravely in big and small ways, it powerfully elevates our lives. I hope these stories connect with you and encourage you to embrace bravery in every possible way, day after day. Together, we can build a movement of courageous living that enriches both our lives and our communities. And if you enjoy the show, I ask you to please share it with others. Maybe think of someone who you want to choose bravely right alongside you. Thanks for tuning in. Now here's the show. Hi, everybody. This is Heather. Welcome to The Brave Files. Folks, today's conversation is one of a very serious and important nature. And I want to let you know before we begin that we will be talking about sexual assault and rape. However, that is only the beginning of Madeline Black's incredible story of persevering and thriving. She has chosen forgiveness rather than hatred or anger, and she encourages others to see that there is always a choice to make. And should you decide to do so, you can get past anything that happens in your life. She's also one of 50 thrivers taking part in a research by the Global Resilience Project, which I think is amazing. We're going to learn all about that. And they're developing a resilience blueprint for others. And I am just so honored to have her with us today. Madeline, welcome. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here with you, Heather. Wow. Your story just just tore at my heartstrings as as a mom of four. um, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience and and sort of tell them um, who you are and, and what your story is. Sure. So my name is Madeleine Black, as you said. I am a Londoner living in Glasgow, Scotland in the UK. I worked up until recently as a psychotherapist, but now I focus on speaking, speaking out and sharing my story because I've been invited to speak more and more. So I made the decision to stop working with clients 
Good for you. Yeah, and as you said, my story is one of rape. I was just 13 years old and I was gang raped by two young American teenagers back in the late 1970s. Oh my goodness. So this was in your home in London? It was in London. It wasn't in my home. I did, I think, what most people have done uh, at some point in their life. As a teenager, I lied to my parents mm. about where I was staying that night. My friend's mum was away and she was meant to be with her grandma. And we told her grandma and my mum we were staying at each other's house, but we went back to her mum's empty flat and we managed to buy some alcohol, which we took to a local cafe and... I was 13, you know, I was half the size I am now. I had never yeah. drunk before. It didn't take me very long to get drunk very quickly. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine that that would not be the case. And of course, as a, as a parent, I have a 13-year-old. I don't want to yeah. think of, of her doing that. But I certainly um, know that teenagers like to push boundaries a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so do you mind sharing a little bit more about that evening with sure. us? Sure, so... I got very drunk, as I said, and I threw up everywhere, chucked up all over the place, and we were asked to leave. Well, we were kicked out, basically. And two of the young men from our table, they put us into a taxi and they took us back to my friend's oh. mum's empty flat. And it just became very clear very quickly, um, you know, that they, they weren't there to let me sleep off the alcohol, take off my clothes and put me to bed, let me sleep it off. They were there for something else. My, my friend was put into a separate bedroom and I was put into one oh my by gosh. myself. Did they, yeah. did they harm both of you? You know, I, I don't know. When I woke up the next morning, my friend was then in the bed next to me. Um, she was still dressed. I was naked. She appeared not to have been harmed. I had lots of injuries on my body. And yeah, so I've, I've never really known what happened to her. In the morning after, I couldn't really remember how I got these memories. I understand now what trauma does to a mind, and it, it blocks it out, but it, it really blocked it out pretty much straight away. Some details I remembered, but a lot. It took me many years to get all my memories back. That's terrifying. And I've wondered, I've wondered about her, but I, I'll, I'll never really know now what happened um, to her. Gosh, I, I have many questions. Did you remember enough to know that you had been raped? You know, I don't know, actually, at the time. I do remember the very last thing that the one I call the worst mm. one said and did to me. He held the knife <gasps> oh, against gosh. my throat. The knife he had already used on me, and he told me that if I told anyone, that they would find me and they would kill me. And I, I believed them. You know, I was 13. They had already hurt me very badly and raped me really every way they could. It was very hazy. When I say I don't remember, at the time when the violence got too extreme, I literally left sure. my body. So before that, I found that there was a, like a wallpaper border running around the top of the walls, and I just counted the pattern. It was made out of pink and grey bows, but after a while, it, the counting didn't help, and I had to leave the scene of the crime. So I left my body, and I think that's why... When I tried to get my memories back, it felt very surreal. And, and also, I know, because I've worked sure. with survivors of rape for many years, that we do minimise it and we say, well, it wasn't that bad. And because we want to push it as far away from our mind as possible. But, you know, what we don't speak about, it has to come out some way. And it, it really affected my behaviour. Well, that was what I was wondering is, yeah, so we wake up and you you have some idea, but you can't fully remember what I heard you say is you didn't talk to your friend about it, right? You didn't... 
Well, we just decided that we would clean up the flat and go back, go our separate ways because, you know, already I was starting to think, well, I'd lied to my mum, I'd bought alcohol, I'd met boys. I was already beginning to think of this course. was my fault. Of course. You know, and I had brought it on myself and mm. this is what did I expect? You know, I deserve this. I know now no. it was never, ever oh my, my goodness. fault. But already I was supported by the myths that are out there in the culture, in the community that, you know, a woman, a young girl's out drinking, it's, what does she of expect? Course. Subliminally, it just uh. kind of... I picked right. up these messages. And and you and your friend then, that was it? You never never saw yeah, each other we, again? We, I, yes, we actually, you know, that happened on a Saturday, woke up on the Sunday, we went back to school on the Monday. Oh, you so did? I saw her at school. Yeah, and I had a, I left school at 16. I was very young, 15, 16. So we had a few years together, but we never really spoke about it. But in the lead up to me leaving school, I became mm. anorexic. I attempted suicide. I used drugs and alcohol to numb out, to not feel or think. I had fears, phobias, anxieties. But, you know, worst was really what it did to how I felt about myself. I just felt worthless, oh. dirty, contaminated, uh, just really no point oh, to being me. It was, it was it's not so heartbreaking. <laughs> how did your mother, your parents react to this? Yeah, so I didn't tell them straight away. I couldn't find my voice because I was really scared that he meant what he said. And even though I couldn't really remember, uh, I knew that I had looked into the eyes of somebody that, that could kill me. I was quite convinced of that. And so it took me about three years to find my voice, to tell my parents. And even then I couldn't actually say the words. I could only write them down. So I left a note on my pillow before I went to school one morning. This was after I had come home one night and my parents told me not to. And my mum was really angry because my behaviour was pretty rebellious at that stage. And she's telling me, you know, don't you realise what could happen? You're putting yourself mm. in danger. Inside, I'm trying to find the words, screaming inside my head, but I, I couldn't. So I wrote this note. And when I came back from school that day, my parents were waiting and they asked me if it was true. So they called my friend who was involved and she said it hadn't happened like I said it had. You know, they were nice boys that they just brought oh, us home. God. So I felt very betrayed by her. My dad still wanted to go to the police and my mum was really, really quiet. And it took me many years to understand my mum's silence. It took till after my dad had died, actually. They were married for 38 years and they had five kids together. And she told me that as an eight-year-old, she had been raped by oh a Oh, my goodness. But my, my dad had never known, never known, even all those years together and all these kids together. So when I am sharing what happened to me, she can't say anything because all her trauma is coming back to mm. hit her. And she was silenced. She couldn't find her voice. You would have to have told her story and she never got support Oh, that's so heartbreaking. It. And then you're so, living with feeling yeah. unsupported by your mom. For all these years yeah I thought she didn't believe me uh, and I was then it was it was a strain on our relationship I was very understandably bitter towards her and how but it's changed oh I'm it's so really glad to hear that how <laughs> soon yeah. after the attack happened did you write this letter oh this was I was about six so several that years point. So it was about yeah. three years yes three I, years I love your dad for like let's go to the police of course three years later there's not anything yeah 
I know now, because I've worked at Rape Crisis for six years as a volunteer, there would have been no, no physical evidence, obviously, on my body. It would have just been my word against theirs. And you know they were sons of American diplomats, so they would have left oh. London already by then. Oh, that's so. vile. I'm not, the whole thing was vile. It's vile yeah. from the beginning, but to, it feels... It feels like a betrayal, even from my country, for somebody to be there as a diplomat to cause so much harm. And yeah. you have to... Well, it's, it, it's not just diplomat's sons. It's, it can be, as we know, any type of man that can make that decision to rape. It's, there's not a type. Um, but yeah, people would assume if you're white and privileged that you don't do that. But sadly, yeah, you do. Absolutely. Well. Oh, my goodness. Um, there, there's just so much. But let's thank you for sharing that and your, your honesty and your vulnerability um, with with all of us. But that is just... It started your story, but your story is so much bigger than that. Uh, can you talk us through, you've chosen, and I just think this is um, an incredible thing, and, I, and I've done a lot of research in, in forgiveness. Um, you've chosen, in your own words, to forgive your attackers. Can you, can you speak to that? Yeah, you know, I guess I really call myself an accidental forgiver. <laughs> it wasn't something that I really planned. It kind of snuck up on me. I very nearly didn't become a mum because I thought that giving birth was just going to be like being oh, raped wow. again. And I, when I met my husband, Stephen, when I was just 17, I told him, you know, I'm not going to become a mum. And he was great, but mm -hmm. I've had three beautiful daughters. So I've reversed my decision. <laughs> good good choice. And it was, it, was, it was really, that's what started me on my healing path. It was amazing. But when Anna, my eldest daughter, became 13, mm. all my memories came back. All the flashbacks, nightmares, dreams. I thought I saw them everywhere. And I was studying psychotherapy. I was doing tons of personal development. And I knew, well, I was the worst kind of client because I decided to go back to therapy. But I wanted my therapist to take the memories away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's Which not how it works, unfortunately. Yeah, not how it works. I'm, and I'm, I'm a psychotherapist, so I really know it's not how it works. But it, it comes back, even if we don't believe it, when we are ready to face it. And I knew it was this was a time I really had to clean this up once and for all, because if not, I'm never going to get peace with it. And my intention was never to forgive. But very near to the end, my therapist said to me, you know, maybe these two guys weren't born rapists. And I just was so angry yeah. with him. You know, I couldn't believe what he was saying. Because I was still filled with hate, anger, revenge, and I fantasized about somebody, you know, kidnapping the two of them, taking them back to an empty flat, and raping and torturing them for four to five hours on end, like they had done to me, so they would get it, so they would know about the impact is not one night. Your whole it, life. You know, it yeah. lasted decades. Yeah, decades. But he planted a seed in my head and it really started to grow and I found that I needed or wanted to understand well how could these two young guys who weren't much older than me maybe 17 or 18 know to be so violent towards another human being and I wondered you know what had they seen or heard or experienced and somehow I felt compassion in my heart towards them because I have really, you know, tried to live my life as best as I could, just refusing to be identified by what had happened to me. But I thought, well, you know, they have to live with what they've done to another human being. And I can't imagine that could be easy. 
And I remembered something that a really good friend of mine said to me years ago, which I, I never forgot. My friend Anne, she used to be a midwife, and she told me that she had delivered thousands of babies, and she never once met an evil one. Mm. And you know, just like her, I do believe. I mean, I've held lots of babies. You look into their eyes. We are all born a blank sheet. And I wondered, how did they go from naught to 17 and get so corrupted and um, conditioned that they could behave that way with someone else? And I'm not saying, I don't really preach forgiveness for anybody else. I'm not saying that um, if you want to heal, then you have to forgive. That's the only way. But, you know, this is my path and I, this is how I really chose to do it. And when I chose to forgive, for me, it's really like another word for understanding, I guess. It just allowed me to let go of all the memories because when I returned to therapy, it was three years, my last lot of therapy, it wasn't actually the pictures and the memories that were harming me. It was my mind refusing to accept it. My denial was actually right. causing my mind more disruption than the pictures. And I saw I could drive myself crazy, really, if I wasn't careful. And I had to really say to myself, well, look, I am alive. They didn't kill me. I don't believe I am my body, all the things that were done to me. I'm, I'm not the events in my life. And yes, obviously it shaped my life. So it's a bit of a paradox, but I'm so much more than one night. And I do believe that the true essence of us that we are all born with, that can never be touched by what's happened. And so, yeah, I, I decided that if I wanted to really let go of it completely, I could choose to forgive them, which I did. And it's much easier sitting on this side yeah. of forgiveness than on the other side of hate and anger and, and revenge. It. I believe that to be true. And the other thing I want to clarify for anyone who out there who's going, gosh, I could never do that, and I understand that feeling, is is that it doesn't excuse it. It's not – forgiveness oh, doesn't – Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. I, would, I would never forgive the act of rape. It was a total violation on my mind and my body and my psyche. But, you know, it was actually – nothing to do with them. I didn't need them to say, you know, I'm sorry, whatever. I didn't need them in front of me. I could make that decision internally in my heart. And actually it was for giving me a better chance. Yes. It was about self-love, self-empowerment, and it cut all the chains that just tied into Absolutely. the past. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the celebrity Tyler Perry, um, He's a, he's a pretty big yes. deal here in the States. But he once said, the most important thing that I learned growing up is that forgiveness is something that when you do it, you free yourself to move on. Absolutely. It was my key to freedom. Yeah, really, and I, I believe that is such a powerful thing. Uh, and I, I've done some work on my own, sort of that long distance forgiving. It doesn't always have to be... Um, telling somebody to their face or asking for forgiveness. And and I imagine for you, a lot of it was forgiving yourself for you know, what happened after. Or, yeah, you know, really, it was just, I don't, I don't take it personal anymore. It was just wrong place, wrong time. If it wasn't me, it would yeah. have been somebody else. It wasn't, it wasn't anything to do with me. These two men decided to commit a crime against a body, which happened to me be my body. But I, I am not my body. I'm not the things that they Good did for to you. me. I, I hope that so many people out there can hear you. And what, um, I, what I want to talk about now is you're out sharing that message. You're, you're talking to mm -hmm. um, folks. Is it? Are you talking to young people? 
You talk to anyone, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I shared my story actually with an organisation called The Forgiveness Project. It's a London-based project. Actually, they do have a branch over in America where they show the exhibition called The F Word. And really, that was five years ago. And I just could never have imagined what would take place. It just opened loads of doors for me. And... um, I've just been invited to speak, so I, I go to schools, awesome. I go to universities, conferences, you know, wherever I am asked. I Tell will speak. us a little bit more about the Forgiveness Project. Sure. So it's it was uh, started by a journalist called Marina Cantacuzuno, and it really started with the the exhibition called the F Word because it's quite a provocative subject, and it. She had far more interest than she thought it was going to be. So it's now been going, I think, for fifteen years. And they share stories of forgiveness just to show people that there is an alternative to hate, that you don't have to always... uh, We can transform our pain into something better. And they do a lot of other good work as well. They do some restorative justice and they do a program called Restore where they go into Mm -hmm. prisons. So I've just started to take part in the Restore program as well. And actually next week I will be in Peterborough prison in the UK working with the women. So that is storytelling, but in a very small, intimate wow. setting. You know, I've, I've spoken to three people, I've spoken to 2000 people. So my audiences are all very different. What a powerful experience speaking to, to people in prison. And, and I, we did an interview on this show um, called The Theory of Accountability with a a gentleman who spent 15 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit. Um, And there's, and and also there have been other, we've done other interviews about that, people who help um, particularly women rehabilitate and, and get back into. I imagine so many people who find themselves in prison have experienced extreme trauma in their life. Absolutely. You know, I, I went a year ago and it was just actually, it was so sad. I just think it's not a really mm-hmm. a just system, a justice system. There's a lot of people that I met, they really yeah. needed therapy, you know. I, we didn't always know the reasons why they were inside, but there was a lot of hurt people, a lot of good people just making bad mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Madeline, what happened that made you decide, I have to talk about this story, I have to share it with other people? Yeah, I guess it's really been a bit of a process. So before I shared my story, I had taken part in a few interviews and a few magazine articles, but I was always that silhouetted, blacked out photograph, and it just maybe said my name, Madeleine London, it didn't have any more details. And then I met Marina through the powers of social media on their Facebook page, And she had read 12 pages that I had written for somebody else. And she asked if she could share my story on her website. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And she said, you don't need to put your name. You don't need to put your photo. But I was chatting to another woman online as well. And she was about to go to prison to meet the serial rapist that had broken into her home and raped her while her husband was in hospital and her youngest daughter, two years old, was sleeping. And I just thought, you know, if she can meet him and sit in a meeting opposite him, then I can share my story with my face and my photo because I was tired of being ashamed. The shame silenced me for years. I was terrified. You know, if people knew, they would look Mm. at me differently or they wouldn't want to know me as if somehow it was a reflection on me. But I know now that 100% of all rapes are caused by rapists, Nothing, nothing else at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I decided that I would share my story and, and that was 
September 2014 and just ever since then I have just been invited to speak. I love that. Um, how, how has that felt for you to, to go from being the blacked out silhouette to the woman who vulnerably and honestly stands in front of folks and says, this is, this is what happened to me. How does that feel different? You know what? Right now, I really um, trust that life is doing what it's meant to do. It just feels like almost this is my purpose. If this is what I'm meant to be doing, this is um, it's almost like a responsibility. Marina really believes in the power of sharing our stories. And she doesn't really call us storytellers. She calls us story healers. And I have felt the power that comes when we share our stories just so many times. I mean, every day I will get messages from someone that's listened to me. I was recently on the radio three weeks ago and I'm still getting messages today or someone that's read my book. That Every day somebody will say, yeah, yeah, me too. You know, so many people have my story. My story is just a story of many, many people, men and women. Unfortunately, yes. So Tell us about your book. Your book is called Unbroken, and it came out in 2017. Is that right? Yeah, it is two and a half years old. And I was just recently on BBC Radio 2 in the UK with a very popular presenter called Jeremy Vine. And it's amazing, 20-minute interview with someone that has millions of viewers, listeners a week. So from being two and a half years old, (laughs) it's now back into being a bestseller, which is amazing. That's awesome. Congratulations. I was very happy. Thank you. So it went into number one in five different categories. I was fifth in women's biographies with Michelle Obama and Debbie Harry. So I quite like that. But the best of all is that I was number 44 out of all of Amazon books. So that was quite exciting. Only for a few weeks. Incredible. (laughs) That's a wonderful thing. It's the power of radio, isn't it? Oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. What was this writing process like for you? Was it easy, hard, cathartic? You know what? I, I, I never decided that I was going to write a book. I went to hear another storyteller with the Forgiveness Project speak and she was actually coming up to Glasgow. Um, most of their events are in London. I live in Scotland. And Marina said, is it near you? And she told me the address of the school. I said, it's two minutes from where wow. I live. So I went and I heard this extraordinary woman speak called Marion Partington. And she had a sister called Lucy who was murdered by Rose and Fred West, who were serial killers in the UK, raped and murdered. Mm. And when she spoke, I just saw that there was this peace emanating from her and the effect she had on the audience, it was just mesmerizing. You know, she was just, she had done a lot of work in prisons. She'd been going to prisons for 10 years and she just was amazing. And I bought her book which is called If You Sit Very Still. And inside she had written, now you must speak. And I just Mm. thought, oh, I could speak as well. I could share my story. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I thought I could write a book as well. And as soon as I had that thought at night, I couldn't sleep and all my words would appear to me. They would just fly around my head and I would just sit down at my Mac every day And I literally vomited my book. The words just kind of poured out of my fingertips. And in about eight weeks, it was done. So I guess it was the time to write it. So I'm sorry for all those people that have writer's block, but uh, that's how it was for me. So yeah, it was a very easy, easy, easy and challenging process. Because it's when you put it down in black and white, you go, yeah, that is real. There's no more denying of it, you know, the denying backwards and forwards drove me crazy but when it's written down in black and white it just 
it kind of released it for me and it, it feels like it doesn't belong to me anymore. It's not my story anymore. Well, and that's such a gift. Yeah. Now you're, you're unburdened by it, absolutely. not just unbroken, right? Unburdened. Yes, absolutely. That's lovely. And you have an, a new audio book out. Yes, it is out now, which is really exciting. I wanted to actually be the voice of the whole of the book and they said, no, we really want an actress to do it. <laughs> and so they allowed me to write a new introduction, which I recorded. So three pages took me about half an hour, 45 minutes. And I thought, there's no way I could do the whole book. <laughs> so you were relieved. <laughs> Whatever was I thinking. Yeah, we had as an amazing young actress from America who actually is going to put, putting on my accent. And she's also a survivor oh, actually, wow. of Harvey Weinstein. So it feels actually really great that it's gone to Sarah to do it. Sarah who? Who is it? Sarah Massey is her last name. That's wonderful. Well, that yeah. is exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. And I think it Thank would, you. I don't know, uh, but I imagine it would be very difficult to read out loud those those words. There's actually, you know, we had a lot of, I when I decided to write it, I wrote all the details down and I wasn't sure about including them, but my friend Joe is my editor. He lives actually in America and he said, that I have to include all the details. He said, as a man, it, it really made him think about rape and what can take yeah. place, especially when it's so violent. And I wasn't sure, but he worked on me and I saw, you know, it's still my shame. It's still the shame of what will people think? Will they think of me differently? Will they still want to know me? All the things that, that shame does. And I saw I was still wearing this coat of shame, this invisible coat. And when I got my publisher, my, when I got my contract, they said, you know, we're not sure about including that chapter with all of the details. And I said, no, at this point, I changed my mind. I said, it has to go in. I don't care how it goes in, but I am not going to dilute it. I'm not going to make it easier for people to digest because we have to know what takes place. And if we make it easier for people to read, then we're just still brushing it under the carpet. Yeah. So we decided to put all the details in, but that uh, chapter comes with a bit of a warning. If you, you know, read this chapter, it does contain some details. And that was fine. You know, it has a bit of a trigger warning and, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. Sure, because people heal and process at yeah. different paces. And so they may not be yeah. ready at one moment, but they can go back yeah. when they are and ready. I do, I'm not sure how I feel about trigger warnings because, you know, if you pick up my book, you know it's a story of rape. Right. And I think, well, I never had a warning at 30 and there was no, no. no warning for me. So, but that's okay. I understand why they have to put it on. So I'm still grateful that yeah. all the details are in. And actually, yeah, I don't think I could have been able to read those out if I'd have done the audio. So I'm very pleased yeah. that Sarah did. Things work out, don't they? It's, it's yeah, amazing. They do. And I really am in the process now. I just trusting life and I just think well this is exactly where I'm meant to be and what I'm meant to be doing. I love that so much. I'm curious all of this healing and all of this growth the decision to have children despite feeling like that would be a violation mm -hmm. what all of those things what would you say has been the most difficult thing? In speaking out I would actually I guess the very very initial initial moment that I shared it on the 22nd of September 2014 it's obviously a date burned into my wow, head yeah because a, a lot of people and my friends maybe knew something but they didn't know all the details they didn't know it was near fatal and that was hard but that actually it wasn't as scary as I thought and I know now that the fear is often what much worse than actually when you go through it because yeah. I've only ever had messages of support. I've only ever had people then 
by me finding my voice, it's helped them to find their voice. And that's exactly why I'm doing it. I'm, I'm speaking out to end the shame and the stigma and the silence. But I also want to help other people find their voice too. Because I really think even if it's not rape or whatever we don't speak about that we are ashamed about, it holds us back. You know, it prevents us from living a, a full courageous and just an alive kind of life so yeah. I don't want people to be held back I want them to be the best them that they can possibly be I love that and it's uh, I'm I'm so grateful that that people like you are out there sharing this to support others and and help them creating a community of healers and thrivers uh, has such an an amazing world impact thank you Speaking of world and global, can you speak mm -hmm. to a minute, can you speak for a minute uh, on the Global Resilience Project? Sure. So I was approached by a woman called Emma Bell, and she has taken 50 thrivers. I'm one of her thrivers, and we've all overcome adversity. So all different kind of stories, Holocaust survivors, people that have paralyzed from the neck down, mm -hmm. you know, sexual assault survivors, all different types of people. And she is looking at what do we all do that has helped us not just to survive but thrive and really you know live our life to the fullest and then she has come up with nine different um strategies that we all do and she is going to put them into a book i think it possibly could be a documentary and i'm really interested there's like nine secrets of thriving we don't all do all nine but we all do some of them at some point and i was like oh what, do I, what is it that i do because i've just always been driven to clean up this mm. trauma kind of to drain my swamp yeah. so to speak and uh yeah so and she wants to use this blueprint f to touch millions of people's lives she wants to help with mental health people in businesses with you know loads of different types of people so it's it's fascinating to be involved as well absolutely it sounds incredible we're going to keep our eyes out for it and again i, I feel gratitude towards all of you who are putting your heart and soul and effort into this to support other people. Does this feel brave to you, this work that you're doing? I guess, you know, people tell me that I'm brave and they could never do that, but I don't, I don't want to be considered brave. I want it to be really normal that we can speak about the, the difficult things. I was very lucky in um, June, just gone past, uh, well, gone past a few months ago, I did a TEDx talk in Glasgow. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. And I was really scared because there was two, just over 2,000 people. I'd never spoken to quite so many in one go. But as soon as I stood out on that red dot, I knew it wasn't about me speaking, but it was about who was listening. And that really yeah. helped to focus me. But so many people said I was brave. But like I said, I don't want to be brave. I did call my talk um, unbroken, speaking the unspeakable, but I want it to be speakable one day. We should really, we shouldn't just focus on the good stuff. We need to look at everything in life that goes on. I love that so much. I, yeah, I really, I love the idea. Anybody who has to speak in front of a crowd and, and for one reason or another, folks have to do that all the time, whether it's their profession or they're not. But if you can think yeah. more about what the person in the audience needs and less about Absolutely. what you're doing up there yeah yeah for me now it's always about my audience it's actually I don't share my story for me anymore I share it for what it can do for other people that's that beautiful helps to get rid of my nerves as well yeah <laughs> it it, I think so me. I can yeah. I can absolutely see that being the case um 
what would you say then, and I enjoy this question, has been mm-hmm. the biggest pleasant surprise? Yeah, well, I just it's really people finding their voice. I was very lucky. I've been interviewed by some amazing people. We have a, a legend broadcaster in the UK called Sir Trevor MacDonald, and he interviewed me for a programme on BBC Radio 4, which was fabulous. He's really well known in the UK. And it was afterwards, though, once my programme was aired, that was more amazing. And to cut a very long story short, my friend's mum ended 64 years of her silence after she heard me speak on the radio. She had never told her daughter that she had also been raped as a teenager. And for me, that every time I speak, I I think of her because she has just really single-handedly shown me the power that comes when we share our stories. She, I take her with me every time I speak, every time. That is wonderful. That is so Mm. beautiful. I love it. I... I think that it's brave to do things to support other people. So maybe it's less about an internal bravery. You know, my mission, my goal is to create Mm -hmm. a global movement of people who know that they're choosing bravely in big ways and small ways. Mm-hmm. That the things we do, we can fear is a natural emotion that we, we have and we own. And it either it either empowers us or it owns us. Absolutely. So I, I talk about fear a lot because for me, fear used to be um, false evidence appearing real. Yeah. But it can yep. also be face everything and rise. Yes. We, in fact, had an episode entitled Face Everything and Rise. Oh, I yeah. love it. <laughs> Because I, I, when I examined my fear, because fear was my best friend for years, but I'm pleased to say we've broken up now. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, good relationship yeah, to I, get rid of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just saw that fear was my imagination. Everything, all my fears, phobias, anxiety was, was based on what had happened to me. So it already happened or it was based on what could happen. And, it, and that hadn't happened. But if I really looked at right here, right now, none of it was happening. So I went... I didn't know what I was doing. I guess it was kind of just subconsciously was doing kind of aversion therapy just to really put myself into situations that made me scared. Yeah. Which was being around men and being out of control. They were my worst fears. And I saw actually I'm okay. I'm really, oh. really okay in these situations. Good for you. That's powerful. That's that's yeah. powerful. It's not for the faint-hearted, but <laughs> actually, <laughs> no. you, we need we need to challenge these things when we set them in our minds. When we write them in, you know, ink, then we can believe them. But if we write things in pencil, we can rub them out and change it. Oh, I love that. That's such a great mm-hmm. visual. How do you celebrate? successes, overcoming, acknowledgement. I I usually just say celebrate success, but for me, I think for somebody who's been through the journey you've been through, it's so much more than that. So how do you celebrate? Yeah. um, How do I celebrate? It just, I guess it just nourishes me to see other people doing well that have now find their voice. It's like a big domino effect you know Mm -hmm. it was the courage of somebody else speaking out that helped me find my voice and I just intend to pay that forward and I have had so many people say now oh because of you speaking I heard you that day blah 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 so I'll give you an example when I spoke at TEDx Glasgow 
there was a school that was present and I got an email from the head teacher to say he had a young woman with him, a pupil, and three minutes after I stopped speaking, she broke her silence and told him wow. that she had been raped by a family member just three years ago. And I've now gone to the school to meet her and I'm hopefully going in to speak to the school soon as well. And she said she would never have said wow. anything. And she said listening to me, she couldn't contain it because it was getting triggered, but she said it gave her hope. And, and that's how I celebrate. It's a beautiful you know, just, gift. I said, if I was just there just to meet you that day, for you just to hear it out of these 2,000 people, then that was my purpose that day. Yeah. I know it affected more people, but I just think, yeah. yeah. So I am, I'm really lucky that I can give her this gift, but she has to unwrap it. She has to do the journey herself. Absolutely. Yeah, that's lovely. Madeline, what is your favorite charitable organization to support? Well, I have to be biased here because I'm a patron <laughs> for an organization in Scotland. I was just over a year ago made a patron of an organization called Say Women. And it's for young women that have been raped or abused and it's no longer safe for them to stay at home. Mm. So it's generally by a family member. And they have eight uh, apartments where they can stay for up to two years. And they really just build them back up again, their self-esteem, their yeah. self-worth, they help them with education, with getting employment. So yeah, my heart is with them. That sounds like a very, very important organization. I'm, I'm always Absolutely. grateful for folks who are out yeah. doing It'd be great that. to say we didn't need these organizations. Right. It'd be great to say there was no need for women's aid, rape crisis, whatever, but sadly, they are needed. We do, yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you for that. So folks, get to know them. Um, However you can support them, as always, we ask you to do that. They'll be our charity of the week for this coming week. Madeline, thank you so much for You're joining us welcome. Yeah, and sharing your heart. Uh, you have a beautiful energy that I, I know is impactful when you're talking on the stage. Um, and I, I can see how it's so helpful to the people that you connect with. So thank you. You're welcome. Friends, if you are experiencing any PTSD or trauma, there is a hotline here in the United States, uh, and we can find one. We can put it in the show notes for the UK. Um, it's 866-307-8980. Feel free to call and get the support that you need. You are not alone. And, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychotherapist, but I am a life coach. And it, I promise you that you have more control over your life than you think you do. And if you you already have all of the power that you need and all of the control that you need, and, and maybe you just need some support tapping into that. So if I can help you, that's what I'm here for. Reach out. You can email me at heather at vickeryandco.com or give us a call here at 312-646-0205. That's also the number to share your thoughts and feedback on the show. And we welcome hearing from you at all the time, whenever you feel like calling us. And if you haven't already, please consider joining our Brave Movement and becoming a supporter on Patreon. We need every single one of you to help us achieve the big goals we have set. And we're going to do some really cool things. So visit patreon.com slash bravefiles to learn more and join our community. And thank you for sitting with us in this space, for giving time and energy and honor to hearing Madeline's story and to knowing that um, you can overcome whatever it is, uh, with support and love and encouragement, and you are not alone. So thank you for listening. And this is Heather Vickery reminding you today and always to go out and choose bravely. The Brave Files is proudly supported by Audible. 
If you enjoy listening to podcasts, you're sure to love listening to your favorite books on Audible. Get your free 30-day trial complete with a credit for a free audiobook download today simply by visiting audibletrial.com slash thebravefiles. Again, that's visiting audibletrial.com slash thebravefiles. You've been listening to The Brave Files, stories from people living courageously. To learn more about the show, find our show notes, or get some great bonus content, visit thebravefilespodcast.com. And we'd love to know what you think. You can give us a call at 312-646-0205. Let us know your thoughts on the episode, the show in general, or maybe share with us how you're out choosing bravely. This episode is brought to you by Vickery & Co. Success Coaching, coaching that helps you maintain a life well-lived and a business well-run. Learn more at vickeryandco.com. Our music is produced by Matt Lewis. Follow him on Instagram at mattmmusic or visit his website, theunionband.com. We couldn't do any of this without our extraordinary audio engineer, Andrew Olson. Learn more about him and check out his work at findandrewolson.com. And special thanks to our associate producer, Kim Statler. I'm your host and executive producer, Heather Vickery. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.